It is so good, so, so good to be back home, and certainly in my, the home of homes here at Sunrise, it just feels so right to be back, and we've been uh, away, my wife and I, Katie and I, and the boys, they're still back in the States, they sent me back home <laughs> um, and, to be with you guys, and it's good to be back. And I actually, I come with some uh, good tidings, a pending, pending work permit uh, going through, we have officially decided to call and hire uh, our next associate pastor, and uh, Brett Wendell. So very excited about Brett. Uh, Kim and their little nine-month-old Joshua are going to be joining us very shortly. So we're very grateful to God for this provision, and uh, very, very needed as well. Uh, just as, you know, our church has been in a place where over the last number of years it's grown and just need help you know, uh, shepherding God's people. Uh, we still have a tremendous need, particularly in our family and children's ministries, in terms of training and equipping and recruiting volunteers to help serve our kids and to love them well. And uh, Brett is very excited about this. He's already looking at ways to help and curriculum and this and that, uh, just very enthused and helping administration. There's all kinds of needs. So very grateful to have uh, Brett. So let's give God a a big clap of praise for his provision in our lives. Um, very grateful. Uh, many of you got to meet Brett. We've been, we've been talking to Brett for over a year and a quarter, and it's come to this. So um, very grateful for that. Brett, very gifted guy. Uh, he's, not, he's not Ryan Oschlager, praise God. <laughs> he's, and he's not Rich Bulbring. Um, he's, he's Brett, and that's who God has brought and uh, we're very grateful for how he's always provided in different ways and through different means for our church, and he's done that again. And we're very thankful that he and Kim will be joining us in our mission at Sunrise to introduce more people to Jesus and help them grow by his grace. In fact, every once in a while, I like to quiz people about our mission at Sunrise, our mission statement. And I generally find when I do this and, and have a good chuckle about it, People actually do remember the first part, which is you know, introducing peeps to Jesus, basically. And that's, you know, pretty self-explanatory, whereas they're more sort of vaguely impressed by the second part, because it sounds super spiritual. So it's the second part, growing by grace. I wish to examine this morning from God's Word, uh, because myself, the elders of Sunrise, and indeed I hope most of the Sunrise regulars here are passionate that we are not only saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, but that we grow by that grace. We mature by that grace. We get closer to God because of and fueled by the grace of Jesus Christ. God the Father's project in us while still on earth is to grow our lives, to grow our character into something that resembles the life and the character of Jesus. But you see, Christians use all sorts of reasons and motivations to get up and grow. Think about reasons why you joined us this morning for Sunday worship. Why you stumble out of bed to get to know God through prayer, or through Bible study. You know, why you search around for your keys and head out the door for a community group on a weeknight. What motivates you? Why do you show patience to your child? forgiveness to a spouse, or bite your tongue around a braggadocious co-worker. 
The list could go on. Why do you do these things? Well, I'm supposed to, you say. Or I should. Or if I don't, how will that look? I'm a churchgoer. I've always done that. Oh, it's the right thing to do. In other words, guilt, shame, obligation, habit, tradition, earning extra credit with God, or earning favor with men are typical motivations we access to get up and grow, to look like respectable Christians, to do the Christian life. But at sunrise, we believe that the primary fuel for living is the grace of God expressed supremely in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that sounds so good, right? And it lifts your spirits, I hope it does, but it's still theoretical. It's still kind of out there. It's like having a great goal, but no one showing you how to access the practical resources to achieve that goal. So ultimately this morning, I want to get to the question, how do we access grace for a typical day of living? So I think what we can do this morning is look at a wonderful passage in God's Word that I think points us in the right direction. So if you would, open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read 2 Peter 1, verses 1 through 9. That's on page 875. If you want to use one of the Bibles around you, you're going to need a Bible. It's like a how-to-do manual for the life with Christ. Let's hear God's Word. Simeon Peter, which is just another way of saying Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the verse we'll focus on very intently this morning. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he, is, he was cleansed from his former sins. What we'll see this morning in this passage is a term, a goal, a problem, and a solution. A term, a goal, a problem, and a solution. We'll go through the first two pretty quickly so we can get to the last two. First, a term we see here, an important one, and it is grace. Peter says, make grace as well as peace, may grace be multiplied to you. 
As you get to know Jesus more and more in your life, grace is multiplied, which sounds pretty good, right? We'll take that. We'll sign up for that. But for almost all of us, that phrase, grace multiplied to you, it's a head nodder. You know what a head nodder is, right? It's a word or phrase used in churches for which the longer you go to church, you learn to nod your head when it's said. Like, yes, I understand. Absolutely, brother. Amen. One of those sorts of things, right? So people say oftentimes faith, and you want to nod your head because you want to be in the church and be a good Christian. Or you say, saved by the blood of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or my favorite, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you nod your head like you know what someone's talking about when they say that. Right? You know what I'm saying? And a lot of times you hear phrases like, may grace be multiplied to you. Grow in grace. Grow by grace. It's all about grace. And you nod your head and think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that. And my hope this morning is that you start to nod your head for reals. You understand what grace truly is and it helps you grow. Grace is God's love made active through an undeserved gift. God loves us. It starts there. God loves us. Now other religions, though not all, but other religions claim the same thing. God loves you. cares for you. But the God of the Bible, of this Bible, does something about it, tangibly and in human history. Recorded for us. He gets off his throne. He comes in the flesh so that we can experience him. And so he can experience what we experience. That's what this God does. He activates His love. And we didn't deserve this. But He comes down anyhow. And he dies a death we deserve to die. And He offers life with Him forever, starting now. Starting now, life with Him forever. All as a free gift. And that is why the person and the work of Jesus Christ is the ultimate expression of grace. It's the ultimate gift undeserved God's love in this gift. Every action of God towards us comes through Jesus. And it's gracious. And it's designed to point us and remind us of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. They're all little hints pointing us back to Jesus who reconciled heaven and earth, God and man, perfection with imperfection. Jesus does. Who here likes to get birthday cards? Raise your hand. You enjoy getting a birthday card, especially here in Cayman. If someone's sending it off island, that you get something in your PO box, it's very nice, right? Lovely, caring words written by modern-day Bill Shakespeare's. Who likes it even more when those cards contain a little something, something, right? Wedged in the middle. Who likes that even more? Raise your hand. It's okay to be selfish. You like that a little bit more. Okay. Some of you don't like apparently gift cards and money. It's okay. <laughs> We, most of us do. It's great getting that because you get the words of love, the personal overtures of love written down, and power that can change your life. 
right? I get to go to the movies. I get to go have coffee. I get to buy what I want at that electronic store. Or I just have cash. It changed my life. I can do something about it. That is grace. That is the whole idea. Not just words, but words that change your life. Grace. His divine power. That is why here we read, His divine power has granted to us all things. It's power. It's dynamite. It can work in your life. The psalmist in Psalm 62, I think, summarized is the concept of grace expressed in Jesus so well. I love the way he says it because he simplifies it. Psalm 62, 11-12 says this, Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. It's like he's saying, here's how God wants to summarize his whole message towards you and all of the Bible towards you. That power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. That's grace. Love and power combined. The forgiveness that's not only only spoken, but that gets in you and changes you. Grace is that at any moment, out of love, God can alter and change circumstances. He can change the stony heart of another person, or better yet, your own heart. God intends to achieve a goal, though, in your life through this term grace. And the goal is this, to grow you toward Christ's likeness, like I mentioned earlier, to be more like Jesus. Read with me in verses 5 through 8. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtues. The idea here is that faith and trust in Jesus is all you need to know Jesus forever. Trusting in Jesus, faith in Jesus, all you need to know Him forever. But while you know Him in this life, add to your faith. Supplement your faith. Then IV says add. Add to your faith virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge self-control, and self-control add steadfastness, and steadfastness add godliness, and to godliness add brotherly affection, and to brotherly affection add agape, unconditional love. Keep adding to your faith. I don't have time to go through each of these in great detail, but I want to ask you anyhow, who here feels like they've added all these qualities to their faith? Raise your hand. One, one young man up front here. He is our example. I love it. But for the rest of us, thank you, Sam. Love that boy. Um, <laughs> for the rest of us, we all agree that there's room to grow. And Peter anticipates this. He recognizes that we feel we've fallen quite short of adding virtue and steadfastness and brotherly affection and unconditional love. So he rightly considers whether some of his readers and his audience who don't feel like they're growing at all. Don't you feel like that sometimes? Why am I not growing? Why am I not adding, supplementing my faith? Peter tells us the problem, and he hints at the solution in verse 9. And here's what I want to focus on this morning. This glorious verse. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. The problem, friends, 
is when we focus narrowly on fixing each deficiency, each shortcoming in our life. That's the, ten we, the way we tend to fix most of the problems in our life. We focus on the problem. How can I fix this problem? I move on to the next problem. I'm going to work on this. I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to move to that. But that's not really how it's supposed to work in growing in Jesus. How many of you here are physically nearsighted? Raise your hand. If you, you are physically nearsighted, it means you can see well up close, right? Very close to you, you can see well, but from farther back, things get blurry. As you move away from other people and objects, things just kind of get hazy. And I know that. I rock a pair of nearsighted corneas right here. All right? In fact, I'm looking at you right now through the magic of a pair of AccuViews, all right, that help me be able to see you from far away. And that's not the only way I'm nearsighted. Physically, I'm nearsighted in, in, in other ways. <clears throat> I've passed down this nearsightedness to my boys. It's hereditary. Often passed through, in fact, the Y chromosome. Uh, passed usually from father to son, one male to another. I call it the refrigerator syndrome. All right? It is a kind of nearsightedness that infects many of us men. Uh, it's when a man calls out to his spouse, his mother, maybe to his sister even, where is the ketchup? Where is the sauce? I'm looking in the fridge. Where is the mayonnaise? It's almost so common amongst cell phones, wallets, keys. A crucial part of this syndrome is that a man so narrowly fixates his attention upon what's missing that he, he can't calmly step back and take a wider perspective, not only of what's missing, but his life in general. So two things happen. He misses the mayonnaise. Even though it's right in front of him, and it's often called to his attention. So he not only misses the mayonnaise, he treats everyone and everything around him as his last priority, as he's looking for the mayonnaise. He's quick to blame others for taking it. That often happens. Who took the mayonnaise? As if someone has taken the mayonnaise out of the refrigerator and hidden it somewhere in the house. Who took the mayonnaise? I only see the reduced fat mayonnaise. And as he's looking for this, focusing so narrowly, any other conversation he receives is bothersome. You know, if you're talking about anything else, what do we need at the grocery store? Mayonnaise, (laughs) right? Uh, What do we need to do this week? Don't talk about anything else. Only talk about the mayonnaise. And he misses even major events in his children's lives. Other things are going on, but he can only focus on what's missing in his life when he needs to fix. I'm pretty sure that I missed Gage's first steps when he was a baby, probably because I was looking for my wallet. (laughs) Couldn't find it, you know, and I just got so focused. Katie, on the other hand, handles it usually very well, and she steps back. She's able to spatially see things, thinks about possibilities, even says a quick prayer, and trusts that God will help Ceases worrying that if she doesn't find it immediately, it'll come. And that's when you usually both find what you need and you pay attention to important matters around you. Believe it or not, refrigerator syndrome illustrates for us as a spiritual principle in these verses. When your focus narrows, try to fix one thing, you forget what's most important and other parts of your life suffer. You get so fixed. I mean, I can just—I just got this fixed in my life. 
I'd be a better Christian. So I'm just going to focus on this. I'm going to work on this. Every, every Bible study I've ever done on spiritual fruit and growing spiritual fruit in your life always asks the question, what fruit are you going to focus on this week and work on? That's not really how it works. It's like, okay, I'm going to work on patience. I'm going to work on that. But then all of a sudden, self-control pops up as a problem. Or faith pops up as a problem. Peter is saying, you won't get better by narrowly obsessing over each area of your life in which you lack. Step back and focus on the wider solution of grace, which can transform every deficiency of your life. Which can bear fruit where there's no fruit in your life, where you're lacking in your life. Don't focus on the problem. Focus on the solution, the grace of Jesus Christ. You're forgetting that. And if the problem is forgetting, then the solution is remembering that he has cleansed you from your former sins. You get down on yourself. If only I was more joyful, more loving, more kind, more virtuous. If I love God's people more. I should have more self-control. And Jesus is saying, you know, hey, back here. I paid for those shortcomings. I paid for those deficiencies. I paid the price for your inconsistencies and where you fall short. A.W. Tozier in his book, The Pursuit of God, says it well. He says, the man who, who has to struggle to purify himself and has had nothing but failures will experience real relief Real relief when he stops tinkering with his soul and looks away to the perfect one. When he looks at Christ, the way things he has been so long trying to do will be getting done within him. It will be God working in him to will and to do. I love how he phrases that, tinker. I so often do that. I tinker. I just fix this. I'm going to just work on this and everything will be solved. No, 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 no. Look away to the grace of Jesus Christ, reminding ourselves of the grace of God expressed supremely in the person and the work of Jesus. That's how you start to change. The rest of our time this morning, I just want to give you some suggestions of how you can access this very real grace on a typical day. Because you certainly can and should be reminded of the person and the cross of Jesus Christ at night when you quietly pray, maybe in your bed. Or in the morning, when you read the Word of God, you're reminded of the personal work of Christ. Or when you talk about redemption in community groups or amongst community. Or when you sing songs about the cross of Christ, as we will do shortly with God's people. But that's not the typical part of your day, is it? In fact, in some ways it's a miracle if we get to those parts of our day. Typical parts of your day work. Kids, practices, emails, meetings. Where can I find more coffee? Right? These, is, these are the pursuits of our day that are normal. And the good news is, reminders of grace can be found anytime and anywhere. James reminds us in James 1, 16 and 17, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father. You know why it says don't be deceived? Because we usually are. We think all these good things that happen in our lives, all the things we even take for granted, they just are. You know what I mean? They are because they just are. They've always been that way. Or they're a product of our own making. We deserve these things. We've achieved these things. 
James says, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift can be traced back to God. That means every good and perfect thing we can receive with gratitude and look back to the person and work of Jesus and say thank you. So the solution, access grace by way of reminders. And I intend and hope to be very practical in this. How do we do this? How do we remind ourselves about the grace of Jesus? Here's just some suggestions. One, through daily illustrations. All right, daily illustrations. Here's what I mean. I was on holiday last week, and I just took one day and I wrote down six. Six reminders of the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm going to share just a few. I won't share six, all right? I was talking with my sister and brother-in-law after his birthday celebration. The subject turned like a normal conversation. It turned to, this case, his dad's debt and his mom being satisfied with nothing less than a $120 pair of shoes. All right, so it's a typical conversation amongst family. They're talking. She likes to buy expensive shoes. This, this hurts their debt even more. And he says, you know, he's just assuming and paying what's really her debt. Now, while this sort of, you know, <laughs> dark humor slash potential gossip moment could have ended like that because I was thinking about grace. I instead tried to seize it as a reminder of grace. Any conversation can be that way. There are a lot of conversations. Jesus described himself as our husband, as our bridegroom. He, we spent what he gave us and he assumed our debt through the cross of Christ. Right? Just a little way of reminding ourselves, wait a minute, that's what Jesus did. He's our husband. He took on our debts and he paid them. And not only am I now grateful, a little bit more grateful towards Jesus, I'm a little more judgmental, a little less judgmental towards his mom and father. I read a book that day called Escape from Camp 14 about a man who was born and raised in a North Korean prison camp. Really just fascinating book about this guy. And he was the first man to escape and make it out of one of these camps. He and a friend planned their escape together, and the older friend is the first to describe to the main character the freedom on the other side of the fence, outside of oppressive North Korea. It's oppressive regime. He describes him the freedom outside of this fence, and the friend is the first to run through the snow, to make a run for it, through the snow, toward the electric fence, tries to get through it, and gets electrocuted. And dies. Shin runs after him, no time for sympathy, climbs over his deceased friend and into freedom. And as he climbs over his friend, the punishment of electricity is actually absorbed, unbeknownst to him, by his friend. The same friend who pointed him to freedom so that Shin could pass over safely into freedom. Boom! Jesus. The cross of Christ. Jesus, who points the way to freedom, absorbs the punishment for us so that we can climb over into freedom. Another just little example of regular life, reminding ourselves of the person and work of Christ, getting it in our hearts and our minds and our souls. Pictures on a laptop. All right? I'm cleaning around the house and my nieces and nephew notice pictures on my laptop screensaver and they ask, you know, who is that? Happened to be a number of uh, folks from Sunrise Community Church. I kind of keep on the screensaver and, 
Instead of just saying, oh, you know, those people are from church. I said, you know, what's cool, guys? Uncle Ryan has a bond with these people. I have a bond with these people, not because of what they've done or what I've done or how, even how great they are, but because of Jesus and what he did on the cross. He has bonded us together. Just a simple way of gratitude, of reminding myself of what Jesus has done. A conversation, a book, a laptop screensaver. When we make connections between every day and grace, this attitude of gratitude springs up and God uses that to help us obey. Where obedience isn't more so much about obedience as much as it's a response of thanksgiving. Man, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We start to grow. So it happens through these daily illustrations. It also happens through practicing grace. You ever notice that when you begin to do something, it becomes more of a reality for you? When you do something and you see results, it goes from reality and cements itself as certainty. That's what happens when you practice grace in your life. When you practice giving away, for instance, the gospel of grace, you keep telling yourself constantly of the truth about God's grace as you share it with others. It becomes more real to you. When you practice forgiveness, you further feel the cost that Jesus paid in forgiving you. You know that feeling when you don't want to forgive someone, you know there's an emotional cost or there's a, even a material cost in forgiving them? You don't want to quite pay it. And you feel a little bit of the cost that Jesus paid in forgiving you. Or practicing generosity in a community. Sharing your life, your resources, your gifts and talents. It might exhaust you, might deplete you, but you keep running back to the cross to fill your cup so you can give it away again. In these ways, grace becomes more of a reality when you practice it. Thirdly, through a gracious perspective toward hard things. Now, this might be a radical step for you. All day long, a lot of you guys experience hard things. Difficult things, things that I don't even know or barely know in my life. A lot of people think hard things come only from sin or from Satan. But sometimes they are actually a grace that comes straight from the hand of God. Did you know that? Hard things can be straight from God. For instance, in this passage, we hear the gracious word grant. God grants us, God grants us. Now, with the exception of two times when it's used to Pontius Pilate, this word grant is always used in the New Testament to refer to an undeserved gift from God toward human beings. It's always used this way. Undeserved gift from God towards human beings. Grant you, I grant you, I grant you. Including Philippians 1.29. Listen to these words. For it has been granted, granted grace to you, It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Whoa. You hear that? That means suffering can be a gift. How can you start to tell when hard stuff that comes your way in your life is a natural result of sin, a temptation or attack from Satan, Or a gift from God. 
How do you tell the difference? There's no rule for it. But I think one helpful hint is whether or not you can honestly look at suffering and say, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense for me. Here's what I mean. Remember God's goal is to make you more like Jesus. Sometimes we trust idols, and idols get in our way, get in the way of trusting God. An idol is anything other than God to which you look for satisfaction, for contentment, for identity. Anything that if it was taken away from you, you'd get pretty mad. You might even wonder how you could possibly live. When you feel that way, you know it's an idol or a potential idol in your life. So, if your idol is other people's liking and respecting you, where their opinion becomes your God, maybe you're a very sweet person, but for someone not to like you, that would be crushing to you. And all of a sudden, someone very important in your life doesn't like you. All the ways that you've went won over other people doesn't work with an important someone. You can sit back and say, yeah, that makes sense. This is very hard for me, Lord. But you're sending it my way as a grace to destroy a potential idol. Start to defeat a potential idol in my life. Make me closer with Jesus. Give you another example. If your reputation is your idol, and someone says something about you that knocks you down, brings you down a peg, it might be hard to hear. And what they say might not even be true. But still, you can say, yeah, that makes sense. Reputation is so important to me. Even maybe more important than Jesus. So God loves me enough to send that my way. If your idol is the comfort that money brings, and God sends your way a family hospital bill that only you can pay, or a bad return from an investment, you can say, yeah, God, that makes sense. You're sending this my way because you love me. You care about me. If your idol is control and you get sick and it forces you to slow down, rely on other people to do your task, you say, yeah, God, that makes sense for me. See what I mean? Satan uses the relentless allure of idols to ruin us, but God loves us enough to warn us the only way we'll often listen through suffering. Adopt a gracious perspective toward hard things. Let's pray. Father, in these ways, we can practically take grace and apply it to our lives, make it sink into our lives. Whether it's just reminding ourselves through everyday occurrences, learning the art of connecting life with the work and person of Jesus Christ. It's all around us. Help us, Lord, begin to take life and see Jesus in it. See grace in life through interactions with others, through a movie we watch, the things we might read that come across our desk, and help us respond with gratitude. But help us practice grace that it might start to sink further down and cement the reality of how much you love us into our lives so that we wouldn't live by guilt, shame, obligation, but know that there is a God who loves us and respond from that love. Father, help us even take the hard things that happen to us 
And this is a difficult thing, Lord, but take the hard things and occasionally see, man, Lord, that makes sense. That makes sense for me. That's actually a gift. The world might think I'm crazy, but I see how you love me through this hard thing you're bringing my way. Help us learn to access grace for real life, and it might empower us to love you more and to love our neighbor more. In Jesus' name, amen.